0: I never said, why me? I said, what's next? And I think that that is really was the key for me to be, stay focused and positive. If I worry about why me, I, I'm never going to answer that question. And there's nothing I can do to change the fact that I had cancer. But I could focus in on what I could do. So what next? What can I do? Hi, I'm Pip Lily, and you're entering a World Gone Good. Well, hello,
1: my name is Steve, and here we are again highlighting everyday people making good happen each and every day. Welcome to World Gone Good, the podcast that has somehow made its way up into the top 2% world ranking of most listened to and downloaded shows wait there's no somehow because the some and the how are you and also you yes you good person you have shared us and subscribed to us and rated and reviewed us and by doing each and all of these things you've helped spread the good and if you haven't done any of those things yet, have at it, and let's push ourselves up into the top 1%. You can find all the good there is to have at worldgonegoodpodcast.com, which is run by my good pal, Lisa. And you can also find bonus good at patreon.com slash good. So many good places for so many good people just like you. Top 2% in the world. Not bad. Okay, so it's no secret I love theater, and I have a theater background myself. It started with my very first play called Mother's Day way back in 1993. Wow, 30 years ago, crazy. And it kept on going all the way through this past March with my show, Happy Birthday McKenna. My love for theater has transferred over to here with shows all about theater Grab a pen, kids. I'll give you a second. Grab a pen. Grab a pen because you may want to write some of these down. I'm talking episode 32, Musicals Gone Good. Episode 35, Mommy Tonk Gone Good. Episode 39, Quinn Gone Good. Episode 41, Betsy Gone Good. Episode 42, John Gone Good. Episode 58, Juliet Gone Good. And episodes 122 and 123, Play Gone Good, a two-parter all about theater. My good guest today is no stranger to the stage. Pip Lily is an actor, dancer, singer, puppeteer, and he's on his way to becoming a survivor. This is his good theater and more story. Pip Lily is here with me today. We met through our dear friend, Betsy Zyko. Let's give her a shout out to begin with. Woo, woo, Betsy. Pip Lily is your name. This is a name that maybe perhaps an Irishman min, mon, who was perhaps hoarding a pot of gold somewhere would have. Where does the name Pip come from?
0: Okay, so my name started off as a nickname when I was born. So I was born to to teenage parents who were messy. And one wanted to name me after her favorite brother, and one wanted to name me after himself. Um but the one thing they could both decide on was I was tiny like a pip squeak. So they called me Pip and the name kind of stuck. Now I did I there's a whole longer story with the name, but my name is Pip Lily. That's my full legal not full legal name, but that's my legal name, yeah.
1: Now we're going to start of course an interview. We have lots to talk about Um, this is going to go places. I don't think my listeners are expecting it to go. So we're going to start right on that note. Pip Lily, what is the best Jackson or Jackson five song
0: of all time answer? Oh my God. Of all time. Yes. Oh, there's, there's no answer to that. There's no answer to that, but I, I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes to mind, which is I'll be there.
1: I would have gone with enjoy yourself. Okay. Because that one. That's enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, enjoy. I can't afford to play it, everybody, because I can't pay for this kind of shit. Um, and if you're wondering why I'm asking him that question, is because he just finished a run of a show called For the Love of a Glove. Pip, tell everybody what the show is about.
0: For the Love of a Glove is an unauthorized biography of the king of pop, Michael Jackson, as told by his glove. Now, in our production, his glove just happens to be an alien from another planet.
1: I interviewed and recorded with Julian and Eric, uh, who Eric plays Michael Jackson. Julian is the creator. uh, I have to say, at least two years ago, it's on a show called Musicals Gone Good. You can look it up in your episode guide if you want to listen to it. It's a really fun one. We're celebrating musicals in it. And it was during the lockdown. And this plays into our story that you're going to help us get through today, which is this show launched or was going to launch right in March of 2020. Am I correct on that?
0: Well, actually, we had been running and our initial run had started and then uh, the pandemic happened just as we were going into our extension. So we, we did... We completed our initial run, but we were going to be extended. And the first weekend of our extension was canceled.
1: How many shows had you guys, had you all done?
0: That's a great question. I don't, I want to say uh, a month, a month to six weeks worth. And you were involved in the production at that point. That is correct. At that time I was not playing Joe Jackson. I played a different role. This show is insanely creative. It is.
1: Like to an, to next level creative. And the closest thing I could compare it to, because I've seen it, is, I've seen both of these, Avenue Q,
0: yep. but it's different than Avenue Q in so many ways. Well, we were more like family than, than co- colleagues and coworkers. Uh, we also, uh, most of us are four years deep at this point in this project from the time we auditioned to today. So COVID hit.
1: Y'all had to take a break. Yes. Uh, I'm in a very similar situation. I wrote something. I worked on it for two straight years, finally got it to a point of like, okay, I think we can put this up. We were going to put it up in October of 2022. And then I looked at just what was happening in the world and said, you know, maybe we should wait a little bit longer. And we wound up going back up first weekend of March. I think we went up the same first weekend you went up. Um, I think we we're both up at the same time. So the play,
0: the musicals put on hold for over two years. Yeah. Well, initially, Betsy, who's our producer, who we mentioned earlier, Betsy told me on the phone, it's probably going to be two or three weeks, probably. (laughs) Right. And then we reopened three years later.
1: Yeah, but we all believe that. Remember, we all believe the bullshit. If you all go home for 10 business days, we can outrun this Fatal disease that half of you or some of you don't want to wear a mask because personal right. freedom. Right. Right. So we all bought into the bullshit because they weren't about to tell us, hey, your lives are going to change completely. And our lives did change completely. Yes.
0: Well, we also had – we had we had other circumstances beyond the pandemic in our, in our cast, including injuries and illness. Right. So that delayed. And our producers, they, again, we were like family. They held – they could have – They could have put the show back on at some point. Even uh, in the latter part of the pandemic, theaters were opening. They had limited seating. You had to be six feet apart and all that good stuff. But uh, they could have done that, and they didn't. They waited. So you say that, you know, we all took a pause,
1: and we're coming back, and life is getting better, and you guys get the green light to put the show back up, and you're told you're going to play Joe Jackson this time, the father
0: figure. yes. Yes, that happened. But something
1: ha- Yeah. Well, I was going
0: to say, I was actually... So during the pandemic, Julian, our writer and director, did rewrites on the show based off our initial run. The show was too long and it had a lot of things that it needed some, some zhuzhing up and some some tightening up. And he did just that. And they scheduled a table read actually during the pandemic that we were all going to do. And the guy who played Joe Jackson wasn't available. And they asked me, Julian asked me if I would be available to play Joe Jackson, because he had initially considered me for that role anyway, and they went a different direction. So I said, of course, yes. And so um, we, we finally had that table read. And after the table read, everyone's like, oh, in the future, this guy's got to be Joe Jackson. Now, you had asked me about something that also sort of went off. What, hap- what went off is uh, just uh, prior to that table read, a few months prior to that table read, I found out that I had stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. This is the twist
1: I told the audience they would not expect in today's show. Go on. Continue.
0: Well, I have no history of that kind of cancer in my family, and I was really sort of thrown back by having cancer. At first, I thought I just had a really bad infection, and then I went to see my doctor, and my you know my white blood cell counts were high, and I was on antibiotics, and then it seemed to get worse, and then I went to go get my uh, vaccination, my very first vaccination for uh, COVID, and then. My body went crazy. And I talked to my doctor. I was like, is that normal? He's like, hmm, come on in. Let me take a look. Because back then, they weren't seeing people, just teleconferences if they could. So I actually went in, and it was not great news. And I found out I had cancer, and I had to go through some very serious cancer treatments. I I went through this chemotherapy where I had to go to the hospital every three weeks for five full days um, where I was on chemo the entire time. And then I get out of the hospital, it would take me about a week or so to recover from just feeling nauseous and sick and tired. And then I uh just when I was starting to feel better, I would go out, I would do everything I needed to do in the world, and then I had to go back to the hospital. And I did that six times. And because I had started out stage three, uh, I took very well to the chemo, but it just they didn't get it all. So I ended up having a stem cell transplant. Uh, in December of 2021, and that's when things got kind of dark for me because I thought there's, I had just had to face the possibility that maybe I might not make it out of this, and um, I had to make peace with that. I, I want to say like, what's the world look like without me in it? Because I, I don't care, I won't be here. Um, but I had to sort of think about my family and friends and things like that, and that that happened, and. Um, I came out the other side better. So I did all right. What, what is
1: the moment? And I had a friend of mine, Crystal Carson came on here. She's living with cancer and very similar situation, stage three. And she spoke about this. What's the moment when they tell you that's what it is? Like what,
0: was there a moment? Was there a feeling? Was there a process? Oh yeah. What was it? Okay, so I'm one of those guys. Uh, I've I, I never like going to the doctor or the hospital at all. I, I have a great relationship with my primary care physician because he's been my doctor for 15 years. Um, but I joke every time I come into a physical, for a physical, every year, the same lame joke. Go ahead, tell me about my cancer. And he's always like, you don't have cancer, stop it. So every year, and until the year that I did, and I knew something was wrong when he said he wanted me to have a biopsy. Um, I I just knew something was wrong because around the same time is when I started to get the most significant symptoms of the cancer, which for me was uh, no appetite whatsoever. And I also uh, was getting really terrible night sweats and, you know, but I had the air conditioner on, but I would wake up drenched. And then there was one time I remember like, wait a minute, I don't think I've eaten in maybe two days. <laughs> and it was during the pandemic. So I guess, you know, I, would all, I didn't really have a routine. So I didn't quite notice the first day that I didn't eat. And then the second day, I'm kind of like, I, I'm real tired. You know what? I don't think I've eaten. And so I'm like, something's definitely wrong with my body. And so when the doctor called me, I remember... The moment that he called me on the phone, it was uh, five minutes till five. And I remember this because I had a a Zoom appointment with my best friend in New York at 5 p.m. That night, we were going to watch RuPaul's Drag Race live together. And at five minutes till five, my doctor calls and says, oh, I have some news. And I knew exactly what it was. And at first, it's just like someone telling you you have mail. it's like, okay, thank you for the information. And you just sort of think, well, what do I need to do? And the first thing I need to do, I need to call my mother. So I called my mother. Oh, I I texted my friend. I'm like, I'm gonna be a little late for the call. Um, Hold up, I'll I'll, I'll jump on. And then, so I told her, and then I got the phone with her and I got on the call with my friend and I didn't tell him anything. We watched that show and I told him after the show, And then I had to call that same day, that morning, my, oh, one of my aunts died that morning and uh, Betsy, the producer of my show with her compassion called and left me a message. So I wanted to return her call and I returned her call to say, thank you for your nice message about my aunt dying. And instead I blurted out, I have cancer. And uh, it was just the beginning of me trying to process what that meant. And then the next several months was not me being upset about cancer it was me being upset about being sick from cancer treatment um but i had a pretty positive outlook about the cancer in general until i had got to the stem cell transplant and by that time i was little like hey this might you know this doesn't work this this is this is it you've had a great life it's okay um but up up through the cancer treatment my mind was pretty good i was pretty clear you you just put your blinders on and you listen to your doctors and you listen to the nurses and you just go that track. Interesting. It's after the cancer is over that you have the problems, at least mentally for me.
1: Oh, I was going to ask that. So what what happened after? Did you have like a – was it like a wave? It's, it's often like with a depression or a um... – like a, a breakup or a shocking situation, a car accident, you're fine in the chaos, right? You're fine in the emergency. right? But then when your body slows down and all that extra adrenaline is going through, you're like,
0: fuck me. Right. So that's exactly what happened. So I, I, I did have great mental counseling and therapy throughout my experience. That was important to me personally that I do that. No one even suggested it. I just, I just, got an online therapist. And uh, she was with me and through hospital stays and at home recovering and in between chemo and going into the transplant as I was sort of sharing with her like, oh, I may die. She helped me with how do you feel about that, all that good stuff. And then we, uh, she also got me into a, uh, a support group through the Cancer Support Community Los Angeles. Uh, and When everything was all said and done and the oncologist gave me the no uh, evidence of active disease, when when they said that those words to me, I said, okay. And the, the doctor said, you can get on with your life. And I said, okay. And then I went home and cried my eyes out because I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to, to begin to do that. And then I, I, I shared with my therapist my issues, but I i was I was just having so much trouble processing it. And I uh, landed in a support group, uh, in a, in a, another support group that was called uh, post-treatment group. And I told my story to these people, and they all start nodding their heads like, I know what that feels like. Because when someone says, you can get on with your life, you're like, well, how do I do that? Where do I even begin? Not to mention... I'm starting after the pandemic. I'm starting life kind of two and a half, three years on hold. And now you just want me to just go. I don't even know who I am or physically, I don't know what I can do. I don't know. I'm just used to going to appointments for the last year. Now you're telling me to just go about my life. And it did. It threw me into a bit of a depression and there was a lot of self-doubt and there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear. Fear of, of the future.
1: Now, one thing you did have on the horizon was knowing that you had this show yes. that was in the works. Yes. Is that something that kept you going,
0: the, the thought of that? 100%, Steve. I really looked forward to doing the show. Knowing that I had that to look forward to was a great joy because it also I knew that when that time came that meant I made it I survived and uh, before I got back on stage with For the Love of a Glove I actually had gone on stage with some friends of mine uh, Jackie Beat and Sherry Vine two very big drag queens who do a show along with two actors Drew Drogi and Sam Sam Pancake they do a show called Golden Girls with a Z live Mm -hmm. and it's basically old episodes and they they uh invite other actors to be there you know the supporting cast around them and i was one of the actors that they had invited to be part of uh one of their shows and so that was my return my triumphant return to the stage was in golden girls with a z live with jackie beat and sherry vine and i i couldn't have been more ecstatic and that was the first thing like okay you still got it you still can do it and then I had found a day job that I loved at the music center. And so arts administration is my other passion. And then um and then for the love of a glove. We started in January 2023 with rehearsal, right? The first week of the year. And and then we opened and we just closed July 1st. We were in the same boat, like
1: I said. We we sort of started the fire again in January ourselves for our show that we did over at the Hudson. And Betsy and I were like Trying to find ways of like, when are we seeing each other's shows when we're up at the exact same damn time? So she found, uh, I remember she found maybe a Friday you guys weren't up and came to see our show. And I just saw your show with uh, my friend Heather Tyler, who was the lead in my play. Uh, We came and saw your show. And again, brilliantly done. So much energy. So much fun. You as Joe Jackson little bit of and they say this complimentary eddie murphy going on
0: eddie murphy's my hero
1: okay yeah i could a little bit of norbit i could see you being in (laughs) the no you know what i mean i could see you as a norbit character um and and just and i say this in the best way possible the perfect amount of milking that you did Brilliant. Well, thank you. Brilliant! Oh, my
0: gosh. Okay, so first off, when I was in high school, in the 80s, yo, like back in, like- Same. Old school, old school. Um, Eddie, Mur- I wanted to grow up to be Eddie Murphy and Whoopi Goldberg, like a cross between the two of them. <laughs> so that those were always my archetypes of like what I wanted to be. And so, because they both do such great character work. And Eddie Murphy's comic character work, of course, yes, I love. And this particular role of Joe Jackson, I did- walk into it with a very clear idea of of, if someone asked me to describe what it is that I'm doing, it was Tenardier from Les Miserables meets George Jefferson.
1: Okay. The swagger of George was there. I'll give you that. But one thing, something you all did in this show, and and it's something I talked about because I did a show a long time ago called The Double Double Feature. Act one was Jesus Christ Super Star Wars, and act two was The King and I Know What You Did last summer. And we took musicals and our favorite movies and we combined them. And we made these hilarious things. Parody, right? So that's the thing about parody. Um. What you all accomplished, which we worked hard at in our musicals as well, is grounding the characters and presenting them as real people. Otherwise, it just comes off as an eye rolling. Okay, we're just making fun of the Jacksons. So that's something I wanted to ask you is, did you do that naturally? Was that something that Julian, your director, gave to you? Was it something in your talking to really ground these people? Because As insane as this plot line is, that there were five gloves that are aliens, that they all feed off the Jacksons and give the Jackson five their power to sing and dance and be entertainers. You all pulled it off as if it's something I could believe happened.
0: I think all of us uh, played very well together in establishing this is the world that's being recreated. And so within this world, these are our. Uh, quotation mark rules. And we were never necessarily given the rules. We just sort of found them all together as far as my work goes. And I, I know this also about Eric and Suzanne who played my wife, Catherine Jackson. It was really was about relationships and moment to moment work. Uh, we spent, we spent a lot of our, our time working together trying to establish what the relationship is between the characters and what's going on. It would have never ever worked if Joe was just a, just a you know, mustache trolling villain and some level there had to be, he had to love s- his family in some sort of way. And I always made the choice that he was really into Catherine Jackson. That's why they had all those children. Right. right. So m- my relationship with her was always like, oh, well, I just love this woman, and she turns me on. And so that kept me grounded in reality of, like, I can't lose her because that's the love of my life, and the family comes with her. So I'll just accept these jerks. I don't like them, but I accept them because they're mine. And it also made me feel good. And the more I laughed, the more the audience felt comfortable with my nastiness. (laughs) No,
1: that is true. That is true because there was the there was the big Jackson miniseries. I was obsessed with it back in the oh it was maybe the late nineties. And um um, oh my god, oh god, I'm the worst person ever. Uh, she was just nominated for an Oscar, and Angela I guess, Bassett. Thank you, God damn it! I couldn't think of her name. I was about to say nine one one. She played Katherine Jackson, and the dad was played by the kid, the the guy who was a kid on um Welcome Back, Cotter. Um. And and Lawrence
0: Jacobs. Thank Lawrence you. Jacobs.
1: And he was Washington on, on See, I can do characters. I'm good at characters. But they played them so angry. Like there was so much anger in that yeah. relationship. And and it is true, but also something that you did. Um Joe Jackson in this version of For the Love of a Glove wanted to elevate his family to the life he never had. Right. And he was willing to do it at any cost. Yes. And it really it worked. And the and the 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 puppets that are played by the actors are so enamored by anything. Okay, Dad, whatever, Dad. Like Well like they're painted that way. <laughs> yes. Because it's like they were almost like like
0: let he was like it was like he was taking them to Little League. I'm like, you're not no, that's not wait, what? Can I say it's also so much fun to play with puppets? If I was on Sesame Street, I would have such a blast every day. I loved those puppets. Looking at puppets, and there's actors right next to you, and it was such a temptation to look at them instead of the puppets. But once I got into looking at the puppets, I'm like, this is, these guys are fun. Look at them.
1: <laughs> we were there on the night that um, Eric, who plays Michael Jackson's hand, kept flying off. <laughs> yes. Yes, and he blamed it to masturbation, which was perfect. He did a little improv and it 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 was very very funny. Let me ask you this question which I ask a lot of my guests. And I'm going to ask it specifically, I changed the time frame. If you could go back in time mm-hmm. to to Pip just finding out about his cancer diagnosis, what would you say to that guy this person you are now? What would you tell that guy?
0: I would tell myself at the time that I found out that I had cancer, knowing what I know now, I would tell myself to relax. It's going to be OK. You have this. And uh, that did happen. That did happen. That did happen. Naturally, I don't know, I don't know if I would give myself other advice because I, I think it happened the way it was supposed to happen. I didn't share this with you today, Stephen, because this is a whole other show, but I, I, I lost other relationships, including a relationship with my mother during my cancer treatment. And I let it go because I let everything go because I realized the vanity of life and the things that we find important. What I, All the things I thought were super important became not that important. And some things that I took for granted, I realized, oh, I really should pay more attention. That has actually a lot of value to me in my life. And that, that's what I learned from cancer. And if I go back to myself, be pre-cancer, um, or at the moment I found out I have cancer, I would let myself know it's okay because what you're going to get out of this, it's it's actually worth the trip.
1: For anyone else who has cancer right now, or is going to get that diagnosis in their lifetime, is that the same advice you'd give them, or is there anything else you tell to somebody else who wasn't yourself?
0: Well, I here here's what I always said uh, during the beginning of or. I guess the middle of it, because people would say, you're so calm. You're so relaxed. You're so positive. And I said, well, I, and this is the truth. I never said, why me? I said, what's next? And I think that that is really, was the key for me to be, stay focused and positive. If I worry about why me, I, I'm never going to answer that question. And there's nothing I can do to change the fact that I had cancer. But I could focus in on what I could do. So, what next? What can I do um, next? What can I do to get through this? What can I do to make this better? And then, even in a a bigger situation, what can I do with this that helps others? How can my story help somebody else? Um, I have a neighbor who developed, who, who was diagnosed with stage four. Metastatic breast cancer. Um, just as I was getting better, she was getting worse. Um, I'm fortunate; it's to say she's still with us. She's still fighting, and I have been been able to be her friend because of what I know because of my cancer experience. And uh, we have many friends in common. She and I, uh, but I'm the one that can that really truly understands more what she's going through than, than others, and that's. It's sad that I had to get cancer to find out, but I'm really grateful on this side that I have that knowledge.
1: We close these shows with three questions. Don't panic. You know the answers. Question number one is the easiest one. Where do people find you? How do they follow you socially? Go for it.
0: You can find me on most platforms at Pip Lily. P-I-P-L-I-L-L-Y. The second to last
1: question, can go back to anything we've already talked about, anything you want to say. Question is this, who
0: inspires you? So many people inspire me, but the first person that comes to mind is my younger brother, Alan, inspires me. He's just a wonderful, great person, and he is the funniest person in our family, even funnier than me.
1: I'm the youngest brother, so I appreciate that. And the final question is not a question. It is a statement to finish. Do not sing it. I can't afford it. Finish the sentence. Tell me something good.
0: Tell you something good? Wow. Tell you something good. (laughs) That is not an easy question. You said it like, oh, it's so easy. Tell you something good. Here's something good. Whether you wait and worry about tomorrow, it will come. Whether you don't wait or worry about tomorrow, it will come. So just enjoy life as it comes. Is that good?
1: That's more than good. That's great. And so are you, Pip. Thanks for sharing your good. Next time on World Gone Good
0: love wins. Love is something that everybody needs. I, I, I tell people that if you're going to solve houselessness, you have to solve loneliness first, because that's what really all of this stems from, is loneliness.
1: Jessie Keenan saw a need in her neighborhood and decided to do something about it. Literally, she made the decision to do something. That's how she started the Orange Cooler Project, the organization she began simply by taking action. If you've ever questioned if one person can make a difference, if you've ever wondered if you could be that one person, Jessie's good story will inspire you with a resounding, hell yeah, you can, because she did. I can't wait to share her amazing story of community and love on our next brand new episode Until then, be good.